This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. In this edition of the Yonkazine Brief, we talk with Charlie Covert. Mr. Covert currently serves as the Vice President and General Manager, Targeted Drug Delivery, Restorative Therapies Group, Pain Division at Medtronic. He joined the company in 2005. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Younger Sim Brief. Opioids are widely used for the treatment of acute and chronic pain, and this includes the management of pain in patients with cancer. They are considered reliable, safe, and effective for the treatment of all kinds of pain. But opioids are also a potential abusable drug, and the public health consequences of opioid abuse are really bad. More than 11.5 million people abuse prescription opioids. As a result, every day more than 1,000 people are treated in emergency departments for misusing prescription opioids. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, estimates the total economic burden of prescription opioid misuse in the United States alone to be $78.5 billion each year. This includes the cost of healthcare, lost productivity, addiction treatment, and the involvement of the criminal justice system. A review of the latest information also confirms that many steps to mitigate and reduce the risk associated with long-term systemic opioid use, including misuse, addiction, and overdoses, have failed, leading to the opioid crisis we see today. In addition to the opioid crisis, there is a separate but equally hard-to-deal problem. It is a crisis of pain and pain management. And this is especially true in patients with cancer. The vast majority of patients diagnosed with cancer will have episodes of acute or chronic pain. But not all of those episodes require opioid management. However, opioids will be necessary in almost all patients at some points for the management of acute or chronic pain. The burden of cancer continues to increase on the personal and societal level and the National Cancer Institute projects that the yearly cost of cancer treatment in the United States will increase to $157 billion in 2020. And pain is prevalent in all cancer patients. A recent study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association confirms that 55% of cancer patients undergoing active treatment report pain. Pain has been identified as a preventable reason for hospital admission and is associated with more than 40% of cancer emergency room visits. And despite increased healthcare utilization costs, in most cases, liberal oral opioid use for cancer pain remains the standard of care. And finally, opioids prescription rates for cancer survivors have been reported to be statistically higher than for those without cancer. So, what can be done to provide better care for patients? What are the alternatives? One possible alternative for some patients is a solution offered by Medtronic. Medtronic has more than a 40-year history of developing medical devices. And while most people are more familiar with the company's work in developing pacemakers and their history in cardiovascular disease, Medtronic has also a long history in pain management, with medical devices that have been shown to alleviate chronic pain in diverse disease states. One of their products involves targeted drug delivery and the result of this approach are noteworthy. In one study published in a journal called Neuromodulation, a peer-reviewed journal, patients report a reduction of pain scores after receiving targeted drug delivery. 
The journal also reports that more than 51% of patients completely eliminated the use of other prescribed opioids within 12 months. Another study, this one published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, shows that using targeted drug delivery may also reduce healthcare utilization and cost for cancer pain patients. The study found significant cost savings for payers, with fewer inpatients visit, shorter inpatients length of stay, and fewer emergency department visits. The Oncogene Brief is developed in collaboration with our online journal Oncogene at www.oncogene.com, where you can find additional information and the latest news about cancer, cancer diagnosis and treatment, and cancer prevention. Let's listen to our interview with Charlie Covert. I'm here with Charlie Covert. Charlie is the Vice President General Manager, Targeted Drug Delivery Restorative Therapies Group, Pain Division at Medtronic. And he joined the company in 2005. But before we're going to talk about cancer and pain and the role Medtronic plays in pain management, uh, Charlie, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Well, Peter, first off, thank you very much for the opportunity to join the show. Yeah, maybe a little bit of background. Why don't I start with the company? I think that'd be a great place to start. Medtronic is a is a large company. Uh, we got our start back in kind of the mid-20th century, about 1949, with the development of the first wearable battery-powered pacemaker. And since then, we've we've really expanded into a diversified number of areas. Um, and today, our, our technologies are used to treat nearly 70 conditions in the human body, and, and we operate globally. The mission, as you come to know uh, through, through the company and as you go, grow closer to it, is really around alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life. And that's really where we try to strive to be at the forefront of, uh, of innovation. So challenging ourselves to develop high-quality therapies for conditions like pain, for example. I joined, again, as you mentioned, back in the mid-2000s. You know, I've got about 20 years of medical technology experience and have been in different functions of of running our businesses, the cardiac surgery business, uh, our cardiac rhythm business over the the period of that time, and and most recently, our division of our pain business. And if you you look at the pain management, right, I mean, it's really something that is um, in the forefront of the media today uh, over the last couple of uh, years almost. One of the reasons is that about... I think the numbers are about 11.5 million Americans are misusing opiates and staggering 62% doing that to kind of um, help them or to uh, stop pain, physical pain that they may encounter. But as a result of that, there is also a large number of people that may uh, misuse uh, prescription opiates. And if you look at uh, the latest reports from uh, the Centers of Disease Control here in the United States, you see that a lot of the uh, systems or a lot of the, the the steps that are designed to mitigate and reduce the risk of of long time opiate use or the abuse of that have failed. Now, from where you are, um, you have a, I think a very interesting opinion or an interesting view about this whole um, dilemma or this whole problem that you see. So, tell me a little bit more about what you see uh, when we talk about the opiate epidemic. Yeah, well, I think it, you, you put a really nice summary to it. Um, I, I, in my view, and I think our view as an organization, there are really two interrelated crises occurring here. You know, in the United States, I think when we talk about the opiate epidemic, one is really the ongoing public health problem. You know, associated with pain, and and you could consider the opiate epidemic almost almost independent of that. Uh, but the two again are very very interrelated. 
you know, we, we know, and as you kind of mentioned, that millions of Americans are, are, are affected by pain and been prescribed systemic opioids as a part of their treatment plan by their, by their physicians. You know, I think the latest count in the data that I've seen is about 100 million of these Americans are experiencing chronic pain that lasts greater than three months. And that's costing our country over $500 billion annually in indirect medical treatment costs and effectively lost productivity as well. So it, there's no doubt that this is a, it, it's a crisis of, of epic proportion. You know, you know, as we consider the audience here, I think it's important also to, to relay this in the context of, of cancer patients as well. And we know that over half of the patients that are undergoing treatment, some, some type of active treatment for cancer, do report pain. So it's not removed from that population either and something we absolutely need to consider when we think about other alternatives. Yeah, so, uh, and actually that is indeed uh, our audience, uh, we, we, we look at uh, cancer and pain. But when you look at the greater problem, it's not only cancer patients. I mean, I think the opiate crisis is not led by them, but there is there is more to it. Isn't that true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, the, the liberal oral opioid use has become, and we could talk, that we, this applies to chronic pain, as you might consider it, or malignant pain. I mean, it has become over the course of the last couple of decades, the standard of care, despite, you know, increased healthcare utilization, you know, secondary to, to frequent, uh, you know, adverse effects. We, we know that that's the case. We, we just have not really understood or, or adopted to the extent that we should other avenues and other approaches to effective management of pain. This is different than what we would consider an illicit drug problem, which is also uh, you know, important when we think about or when there's conversation around the opioid epidemic. But it's important to understand the genesis of what has now become an illicit drug problem has been a pain problem. It's critical that we get at the root of this and we understand are there options and alternatives to help in the management of chronic pain. Now, when you talk about pain, and I think that is good for our listeners to also to understand that, you refer to two different kinds of opiate abuse or opiate use. Uh, one is the prescription abuse, and the other one is an illicit use where uh, people uh, try to avoid or try to eliminate their pain. You, you, I think you rightly say that it's two different issues. But when you when you look at pain, what is the cause of that? Is that just really the disease related, or is that people that really don't like to be comforters and don't like pain? Um, what are some of the the things related to that? So there could be a number of different sources, uh, you know, the pain. But what we talk about, you know, as an organization, you know, as it applies to our therapies is, is the treatment of that, really that physiologic symptom, right? I mean, there's a lot of discussion now in this space around addiction, right? And when we start to get into the, into the understanding of this and is a function maybe of addiction or more broadly, it becomes more than just that physiologic symptom. We start to think about the psychological dependence, you know, on opioids, for example. And a lot of times that manifests through cravings, you know, negative effects on personal relationships or, or, or an individual's finances. But those aren't the types of things that we're really, as an organization, focusing on as it relates to our therapies and our treatments. Let's take a break. After the break, we're back with Mr. Charlie Covert. Mr. Covert is Vice President and General Manager, Targeted Drug Delivery, Restorative Therapies Group, Pain Division at Medtronic. In today's show, we talk about how targeted drug delivery may reduce healthcare utilization and cost for cancer pain patients. Over the years, you've brought opioids into your home. They helped when you were in pain 
and you held on to them just in case. But holding on to opioids puts your family at risk. Learn more at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. And welcome back. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Ongezin Brief. If you're just joining us, in the Ongezin Brief today, we talk with Mr. Charlie Covert. Mr. Covert is a vice president and general manager, targeted drug delivery, restorative therapies group, pain division at Medtronic. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Ongezin Brief. Now, again, if you, if you look again at pain, right, and, and cancer in that case, it's being said that pain is a major reason why people are admitted to hospitals. Um, when you look at uh, opiate prescriptions and cancer pain, in cancer, the opiate prescription is much higher than uh, in, in other areas or in other disease areas. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. So, well, well, what we know from the data is that those prescription rates for cancer survivors are you know, sometimes 20 to 30% higher than you'd see from those you know, without cancer. So we know that, that what we're seeing in that utilization that we've now talked about relative to the crisis is higher in these cancer patients. Uh, that's for sure. Now, Medtronic, the company you work for, I have to admit, I mean, in the, in the introduction, we also refer to a little bit about the fact that uh, the company is, is doing much more than just areas where it's probably known for best, I think. It's the cardiovascular area. But there's a whole history also in pain management uh, with uh, Medtronic. I mean, the, the products that you develop and the reason that you try to help in this area. This part of the company is referred to as restorative therapies group. Tell me a little bit more about that. Our pain management business is, is one, uh, pain therapies is one of the businesses within the restorative therapies group. We also have businesses, Peter, in spinal technologies, in, in brain technologies as well. And those all kind of roll into what we call RTG or restorative therapies that you described. The field that we're kind of really close to as it relates to the management of pain uh, is the field of neuromodulation. And Medtronic really pioneered this field or kind of started this field back in, in the early 80s. And we remain a leader uh, to to that field effectively today. And within pain therapies, uh, there are three distinct businesses and they're all offering therapies that are really designed to treat pain. So uh, to get after this challenge that we've, that we've, that we've discussed, uh, one of those is a therapy we call spinal cord stimulation. So it's a neurostimulation therapy for chronic and tractable pain. And it's really, think about it as a pacemaker or a, a, a medical device that's placed under the patient's skin and delivers kind of mild electrical impulses through a lead or a wire that's implanted into the epidural space in the patient's back. So it's really working to block the pain signal from going to the brain. You know, another key therapy within this space is targeted drug delivery. And this happens to be the business for which I command leadership within the company. And targeted drug delivery is basically a proven, safe, effective way to manage pain with fewer side effects and lower doses than oral medications. So we use a product called an an implantable interthecal drug delivery system or a pump effectively, uh, known as a pain pump, that delivers medication directly to the fluid around the spinal cord to treat chronic and tractable pain or patients that either have malignant or non-malignant forms of pain. And to make sure that our listeners are not confused about what you actually are doing, the company is not involved to treat opiate addiction 
but you are involved in managing pain, patients' pain, with an alternative to systemic opiates. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. So we, when we talk about pain management and what Medtronic can offer, uh, we're talking about therapies to treat chronic pain and cancer pain. But our expertise is in demonstrating that these therapies can deliver a clinical outcome, right? And that in more and more in today's world, that there's a, you know, a value proposition with that outcome to the healthcare system as well. And truth be told, as you think about these alternatives for the treatment of pain in those that we offer, they're underutilized. You know, a lot of that is, is a function of awareness. Clinicians, patients, uh, you know, and other stakeholders involved around the delivery of healthcare don't know about these options. So that's, that's really the focus for us as an organization in trying to address the challenge around pain management. And part of that is uh, what you refer to as a targeted drug delivery. Now, when I look at cancer and cancer treatment, it often refers to a biological targeted drug delivery of a particular drug in the body. When you talk about targeted drug delivery, it has a slightly different meaning. Yeah, that's right. I think for our audience here, who's very familiar with a number of the different therapeutic options for the treatment of cancer, uh, what we're talking about here is, a, is helping patients manage their symptoms associated with that cancer in the area of pain. And for a number of these patients, you know, especially as they're moving toward later stages of their cancer, uh, but, if, but it could be at any point along that continuum, other disease can experience this type of uh, chronic malignant pain. In a technology like targeted drug delivery, uh, using the Synchromed 2 interthecal drug delivery system is geared toward really trying to target the delivery of medication to the epicenter uh, that central nervous system where the patient's pain receptors are most responsive, right? And we want to modulate that with drug in a very precise way. So how we do that is using a, a technology which is effectively a, an implantable drug pump. Um, think about it as, as about the size uh, diameter-wise, like a, like a drink coaster, mm. and maybe about the thickness of, um, of a deck of cards, so a couple centimeters thick. It's implanted fully in the abdomen and under the skin, it's fully programmable. It accepts drug through a, through a syringe uh, in a reservoir. So it can be refilled periodically based on you know, what the physician prescribes or the patient needs. That drug is delivered through a pumping mechanism, fully mechanical, electromechanical function through a catheter or a tube that's uh, running into the patient's cerebral spinal fluid or into their spinal area to precisely deliver that pain medication. It's a different benefit for these patients. Uh, one, you're directly targeting the area that's responsive to that drug. So if you think about, envision, for example, a pile of prescription opioids or pills, right, that a patient might be taking for, uh, for pain management and juxtapose that against a minuscule drop of a drug that would be delivered over the course of an entire day. And that's what we're talking about. It's a fraction of the dose of what you can deliver or, or would need to deliver systemically. And when you're delivering that drug systemically, you know, through orals or other routes of administration, a lot of times it's being washed out by the body. And, and you're not getting the actual therapeutic benefit of that drug before it's absorbed uh, into the system. So it's this targeted nature that makes it really effective for patients. Again, when you look at the targeted nature, um, if you look at systemic uh, admission or, I mean, people take a pill or another form of an opiate Often there are a lot of side effects. Uh, people might uh, get sick. There might be a lot of different reasons uh, that they might not be able to tolerate an opioid. 
How is that related to the delivery of targeted drug delivery? Are you seeing the same kind of side effects or adverse uh, events in that case? What are you observing? Yeah, well, and there's been a lot of evidence published in this space, Peter, over the course of the last couple decades. But I can refer to one randomized controlled clinical trial, and this is this is specific to the cancer pain population. We're able to demonstrate an improvement in pain. You know, 60% of patients that used targeted drug delivery and conventional medical management reported pain scores of less than four compared to 42% that were using conventional medical management, or we could refer to systemic oral opioid use as CMM alone. That was a remarkable benefit there from a therapeutic standpoint. Um, But if you looked also in that study, patients experienced fewer side effects. So less vomiting and confusion, fewer behavioral changes, um, significantly less fatigue and sedation. And we, and we know, uh, you know, things, oral opioids and systemic opioids, you know, can also bring on other side effects like constipation as well. So it has proven those benefits uh, through the course of, of time. Uh, it is one of the fundamental benefits of the therapy. I think that leads into some of the other aspects as well. I mean, of course, if people are sick and people need pain management, they may need um, an opioid uh, to to help them uh, not have the pain. It's not something that they want to do on an ongoing basis. They just want to kind of be able to get rid of their their pain medication if possible at at a certain time. Now, I understand that with the systems that you're using with the targeted drug delivery, there is a retrospective study that actually suggests that people can ultimately completely eliminate um, um, opioid use. Is that, is that, how does that work? Yeah, so they, well, that, that's true. We, did a, we had a couple of retrospective studies that we know have been published uh, in the literature that have demonstrated the patient's ability to effectively wean off of oral systemic opioids. And I'd, I'd be clear in distinguishing that those data were in a population uh, associated with chronic pain, Peter. Um, and not in the cancer pain population. Now, that's not to say that we can't achieve this in cancer pain, because theoretically, if you think about it, you're delivering the same medication, right? I mean, and we want to replace those systemic orals with a therapy that has as great a therapeutic benefit or better, but with reduced toxicity and side effects. And, and, and that's what we've learned regarding TDD as it relates to cancer pain and the study that I just uh, that I had previously referenced. Okay, so that means that again, this is this is not the cancer population, but I mean, it is definitely an option to to start looking at at, at this population. Absolutely, I mean, this, the the spirit of of effectively what we can achieve is equivalent. The studies you referenced specifically were in chronic pain or non malignant pain populations. That's right. right. Let's take a short break here, and then we talk some more about targeted drug delivery and pain management with Mr. Charlie Covert. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. 
Welcome back. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Ongezin Brief. If you're just joining us, today in the Ongezin Brief, we talk with Mr. Charlie Covert. Mr. Covert is the Vice President and General Manager, Targeted Drug Delivery, Restorative Therapies Group, Pain Division at Medtronic. Now, when, when you look at uh, this application, um, the Targeted Drug Delivery, from the information that I received from uh, before and the stuff that I read through, it is often uh, referred to or, or as a way to... Um, as a selfish, a selfish therapy, basically to help patients after systemic opioid use does not work. How does that relate to the benefits that people may be able to get? Well, it's, it's important that we think about a therapy like TDD on a continuum of options that a patient might have. And clearly, clearly we're going to think about conservative therapies first. Those may include systemic opioids, but there are a number of other options in and around the management of pain that a patient and his, his or her clinician might pursue together. And those, those should be tried first. But the use of TDD in progressive diseases like cancer, where the pain is severe, could quickly outpace the effectiveness of systemic opioids, and the need there, and, and could find its way to be part of a prospective pain management plan for each patient. So there's definitely an opportunity and a role for this type of therapy, but it needs to be understood in the context of that patient's total treatment plan. Right. And, and that total treatment plan may include opioids. It may include this targeted drug delivery. When should a doctor look at, or maybe together with their patients, look at this option as a good alternative to different forms of opiate use? Well, first off, again, there are myriad of treatment options and patients should talk to their physicians or clinicians about the right plan for their pain. But But what we would typically see, Peter, in the course of a of managing pain would be some form of behavior modification. You and I would be would be familiar with these types of things and might even, you know, if we were to show up at a doctor's office, talk to our physician about things like exercise, you know, relaxation training, support groups, rehabilitation, you know, maybe you progress to needing some type of PT, you know, or chiropractic care, massage, acupuncture. There are a number of different options that you could foresee. And then we might progress to oral medications. And, and this is where things like opioids you know, or other drugs, you know, in some cases, maybe antidepressants, you know, ibuprofen, other pain relievers could be used. There then might be corrective surgery. And then, uh, and then ultimately, we, we can get to options like interventional therapies, neurostimulation, targeted drug delivery, and other interventional uh, options that, that we might pursue. So I think that that's, that's something that, again, needs to be discussed in the course of the conversation. And in it's specific, very specific to each individual patient's consideration along the way as well. Now, when you look at uh, the number of stakeholders that are out there, um, and this can be a number of the stakeholders, uh, it can be the patient, patient organizations, uh, it can be doctors. How are you working? How are you collaborating with those organizations and those people? I'll tell you that it's a, it's a complex network of stakeholders you know, to, uh, you know, to address this challenge uh, that we're facing and to really bring about the word, you know, around other alternatives uh, to chronic pain management, both malignant and non-malignant. You know, we as an organization support ongoing efforts by stakeholders, you know, across many groups. So patients, providers, uh, payers, regulators, the FDA, of course, is an important one there. Um, you know, our state government elected officials, uh, there's a lot of activity there uh, that, that's critical for us, and, you, and you've heard, you know, more and more, you know, around state-based and federal legislation uh, involving different uh, opioid uh, bills and such that are passing through um, a state and federal Congress. We try to play a, a, 
a rule there, uh, patient advocacy groups and employers, as they pursue approaches for preventing and treating prescription opioid misuse, addiction, and overdose, all those groups. You know, our role is, is important um, alongside each of these in helping patients take control of their pain. And, and when, when you look at, you said the government, you said the FDA also is important in, in, in this particular uh, results. Governments really have a different look at pain medication because now they actually have to deal with trying to mop up some of the problems that have uh, been or right. are developing in terms of pain medication and opiate abuse. Uh, how is that collaboration in that respect? I think what we try to do is we try to inform the FDA in and around options. Right, the FDA, as you may have seen, and in, in you know some of the recent press, has initiated its own its own programs, soliciting input from medical technology and device manufacturers around innovation. You know, so we take the opportunity to educate them as we're having a discussion here around uh, those alternative treatment options, and and we've brought those before them in the past in the context of uh, you know approval cycles and bringing these products to market. But I think as this issue has become more and more prevalent. Trying to create that voice more actively is is really important within the agency. They're carving out pathways around um, around trying to accelerate innovation to market, uh, which is important. So as we think about future therapeutic innovation, those are discussions we're having in this organization. Uh, the FDA is involved in you know disseminating uh, guidelines and guidance around how uh, how therapies should and can be used. And of course, we have discussions around that as it pertains to our therapies as well. So on a number of fronts. Now, the interesting thing is that uh, if you look at a recent study published in the, uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association's Network Open, um, it actually talks about um, cost and, and cost in cancer is, is always a major part of that. It talks about targeted drug delivery uh, and compares that with conventional medical uh, management. And uh, there is an interesting result of that. I mean, it actually says or suggests that if patients can be benefit from this targeted drug delivery, there may be a significant cost savings uh, to, uh, to payers. Tell me a little bit about that. So just a, a little bit more background on the study itself. Uh, Dr. Lisa Stearns and her colleagues uh, you know, assembled essentially what's a retrospective propensity scored matched analysis conducted uh, using a large U.S. claims database. And what they did was they compared the mean total commercial payer costs and healthcare utilization at two, six, and 12 months. They matched commercial insurance beneficiaries with patients with severe uncontrolled cancer pain receiving either TDD and conventional medical management or CMM alone. And then they did their matching around age, sex, cancer type, uh, comorbidity score, and such you would expect in this type of analysis. And in the the study, had some remarkable findings. You know, a cost savings, mean level at 12 months of $64,000, you know, for... Uh, targeted drug delivery and conventional man- medical management uh, versus CMM alone, which is which is really powerful. Uh, we were also able to demonstrate in that study fewer inpatient visits at two, six, and twelve months, uh, shorter hospital stays at two, six, and twelve months, and um, and as we were talking previously around uh, the opioid epidemic, here we're seeing an associated fewer prescriptions for oral opioids at twelve months. So the cost benefit, uh, irrespective of having a, a, a really solid clinical outcome um, isn't compelling. But when you think about what we've able to demonstrate with this therapy targeted drug delivery over the course of time, adding to that with what is now an economic benefit really brings the entire value equation together for a therapy like TDD. 
And if you look at, at the patient, right? I mean, uh, mm -hmm. one of the, the biggest problems for a patient uh, with cancer or cancer pain is the fact that they are not functioning well, right? They, they, they cannot go to work. Uh, they may have to lose time at work or other ways. How is that impacting that part of the equation? Well, that's a, that's a really good point, you know, and we think about, the, you know, some of the earlier data that we discussed around the cost of pain, lost productivity, uh, quality of life. You know, how do you, you could certainly put a dollar on lost productivity, but how do you measure quality of life? I think that that's really important. I mean, there are, there are academic ways of doing that in clinical studies, Peter, but when you, when you think about the nature of the patient we're dealing with here, and I think this is really important, um, you know, these are patients, you know, who are really looking to enjoy you know, that, that, you know, that time or that span of their life when it's, when it's a lot of times most important to them. In some cases, these are more advanced cancers. And to be able to give that back, it's almost immeasurable, you know, from that standpoint. So I think that's something that I don't want to lose sight of when we talk about a therapy like targeted drug delivery. We try to put numbers to it. We try to assess what the clinical outcome and the value is there. But, uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's what we can give to that patient. Uh, with a therapy like this. Yeah, so, so of course, that's the most important thing. But it is, again, it is not only, only the money part, because that's very difficult to calculate on, on different levels, because it has so many different parts, as, as you mentioned. I think the quality of life, um, and that is rightly so, is important. But then on the other hand, if a patient has a good quality of life, um, it, it allows them to also be economically active. Um, so there, again, there are, it's not only the productivity, but there's a whole different set of, 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 of interactions which really benefit this. One more point that I'll make there, Peter, you know, just before we break from that, that question, I think it's an important one and, and one that the authors concluded as well. You know, cancer rates, you know, the survival rates around cancer uh, continue to improve. I should say the rate itself is, is increased, but the survival of these patients continues to improve. Right. So, uh, you know, to think about that in the context of this therapy is really important as well. Now, these patients are living longer with these types of diseases, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're living without pain. You know, I mean, that pain could be a function of, of you know, a procedure related to the cancer, or it could be there could be what's called a neuropathic element of that pain that's a, a function of their treatment following. You know, so it, it can live on a long time with them. So I think there's going to be more and more of a need for these types of alternatives for these patients as well as we continue to see improvements in therapy. Right. So again, I think this is a very good point to stress that the fact that because we have so many opportunities to treat patients uh, with very targeted therapies in terms of biologics and, 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 and the likes, that patients do live longer. And, and so what you're doing right now is to kind of re reduce the side effects um, of pain or actually we take away pain where as much as possible um, so that they not only live longer, um, but also live longer, but a better quality of life and uh, or less pain. Uh, is, that, is, is that summing up the right way? Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a short break. After the break, we're back with our interview with Mr. Charlie Covert. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Youngest in Brief. Each day, researchers make discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Their progress is made possible with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. 
Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more. Together, we can stand up for all of us. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. And welcome back. I'm Peter Hoffland, and this is the Ongezin Brief. Our interview today with Mr. Charlie Covert was recorded in Phoenix in Arizona on Tuesday, April the 23rd, 2019. Now, when you look at um, the payers, uh, at physicians, how aware are they of systems like this? I, I would tell you, you know, and this would be a great question for your audience, <laughs> you know, I, I tell you that I believe that the the clinician, we'll start there, the clinician community I think awareness around these types of therapies is evolving, you know, and within the oncology space specifically, I think there's opportunity to continue to drive and to build that awareness. And we as an organization have built programs around that and these types of opportunities to talk about, you know, what these products are and and how they help, how they help patients, I think is really, really important. You know, within the payer space, you know, one of the things that we're looking at, um, you know, is the development, Peter, of different types of novel payment models, you know, to attract the attention of the payers. I mean, a lot of times the payers are looking, they're looking at the dollars and cents. And if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Uh, and, and we have to be able to bring the value proposition forward, you know, and value in terms of medical technologies is a function of a simple equation. It's, you know, can you drive your clinical outcome higher and drive your cost lower? You know, so when we look at a therapy like targeted drug delivery, uh, we can demonstrate the clinical outcome, you know, some of the things we've previously talked about, and we can demonstrate a true cost savings to the healthcare system. We want to bring forward a model that might, that might proposition to a payer uh, that we can help them manage their overall cost uh, with a therapy like this. So the, those are some of the, the types of discussions that we're having now. That's a different world than we've lived in with these therapies in the past or alternative therapies for managing pain. You think about a fee-for-service world where, you know, healthcare is utilized and paid for on an episodic basis. And here we're talking about utilization and payment for an outcome or for some component of value that we have to deliver. Uh, And that's a very different paradigm. We were talking a little bit about um, uh, not only the benefits to patients, but also the benefits that this may have to uh, doctors, uh, to um, patients being taken to a hospital, um, but also the cost of cancer treatment. Tell me a little bit more about that. So I, I think, uh, you know, we, we talked about a little bit about payers, a little bit about clinicians. I will spend a little bit of time, I think, on, on patients, because I think that's really important here, uh, Peter, when we talk about the, you know, any type of treatment modality that may not be familiar um, you know, to, to these audiences, you know, and we're really trying to do our work, I think, as, a, as an organization to drive awareness. I think that that's really fundamental here of both, uh, you know, the, the clinical benefits and the economic evidence to some extent, but leveraging, you know, some of the things that we typically relate to today. I mean, social media networks, uh, pain advocacy groups, local treatment clinics. Uh, we're partnering with clinicians to do outreach, to heighten that patient awareness toward uh, device delivered or other alternative options that patients may not know, uh, you know, are available to them. So again, at, as we previously discussed, only a physician can really decide, you know, make the decision if these are the right, the right options for patients. But understanding those options, I think, is important, and that's one of our uh, one of our objectives. Now, if you um, are a patient 
and uh, you listen to this program and, and you hear about targeted drug delivery, I talk, you, you hear about uh, less opiate use, you hear about some of the other benefits that we discussed, and you would like to discuss this with your physician, what would be the best way to do that? Well, I think uh, you can learn, you certainly learn more, more about this therapy and other alternative medical device treatment options by visiting us at Medtronic.com. I would start with your physician first, you know, and have that discussion as well and talk about, you know, what might be the right course of treatment um, and understanding where an alternative like this might come into play. Ultimately, that physician will work with the patient to decide, are they an appropriate candidate for this type of therapy? So there are, there are options out there. We as an organization have a patient services group as well, you know, and those folks are always happy to talk with prospective patients or even existing patients around, around their therapies. So another potential avenue through, uh, through our organization. Now, you mentioned just now that uh, not every patient may be the right patient for this particular therapy. How, how does that, what does that mean? Does that mean that not every patient can be, uh, undergo the kind of uh, treatment plan for this? Yeah, well, I think it's important to understand the nature of, of uh, the origin of the pain, um, to understand the patient's physical condition and consideration around whether or not they're suitable for a, a surgery. I mean, this is a, it's an interventional procedure that involves a surgery. So patients got to be in a place where uh, they can tolerate that surgery. The patient um, has to be compliant with the therapy. Um, so there needs to be an assessment of whether or not that patient will comply. You think about it, um, you know, it's kind of like you know, you get in your prescription, you know, for your pills, except you got to show up to have that device refilled uh, in this case. So for the therapy to be effective, patients got to be there and be a part of that. So there are a number, there are a number of considerations in and around, you know, what makes a, a good candidate for this therapy. Because, I mean, in the end, um, the patient does not fill their own device in that respect. Yeah, exactly. So it will be a clinician that fills the device for the patient. And it's one of the benefits of, of this particular therapy. You know, the, the medication is prescribed, is controlled by the physician. And frankly, if you think about the risk of diversion, you know, of, of a, an oral pill, um, that's reduced significantly here because the drug itself is housed inside the pump, implanted in the patient's body. And, and if you look at um, the whole uh, continuing of um, partners in um, drug delivery, when a patient is being diagnosed with a form of cancer, are you part of that initial conversation? Typically, Medtronic is not, um, you know, to the extent that, you know, we're, we're involved in that clinical decision. But we do have, you know, representatives in, in you know, in, in essentially every local area that really partner with our clinicians in deployment of the therapy when that clinical decision has been made, you know, so to help educate um, the patient, to help educate clinicians on the therapy options, um, because a number of our devices are are programmable. Um, there are aspects of, of how to control the devices using different programmers, you know, that our teams, you know, help clinicians with in managing these patients. So, uh, yes, we are involved. Uh, we're not in the clinic. We're not involved in the clinical aspects of, of uh, you know, who gets a therapy or when that decision's made, but certainly there to support our clinicians and patients uh, with the therapy. Thank you very much. As discussed in this program, targeted drug delivery may reduce healthcare utilization and cost for cancer pain patients. But more importantly than the significant cost savings to payers, patients do better with fewer inpatient visits, shorter inpatient length of stay, 
and fewer emergency department visits. And that is good news. It is good news for doctors helping their patients. It is good news for friends and family members of cancer patients. But above all, it's good news for cancer patients suffering from acute and chronic pain. For more information about targeted drug delivery and pain management and the role Medtronic may be able to play, please visit the company's website at medtronic.com and search for the term targeted drug delivery. Here you can find specific answers designed to help you determine if this kind of therapy is right for you and find a doctor in your area who may be able to help you. For more information about acute and chronic pain and cancer pain management, please visit the website of the American Cancer Society at www.cancer.org. Here you can find more information about how you can work with your healthcare team to make sure that a pain relief plan is part of your care. You can also find more doctor-approved information about cancer pain and how to manage this on the website of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO.org. For us here at the Oncosim Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners and underwriters, for your ongoing support. Thanks to your support, our program now has a wider reach with distribution via iHeartRadio, in addition to PRX Public Radio Exchange, and in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio. This week, we would like to welcome our new listeners in Australia on the Wushka Network, a podcast network serving more than 40% of Australians, approximately 9.5 million people who are listening to podcasts in this country. And you can also download our program via iTunes. In Arizona, you can listen to the Onkosim Brief via Independent Talk 1100 KFNX, one of the top 10 radio stations in Arizona, reaching almost 5 million people throughout the state. For more information about that, check out our online journal Oncozine at www.oncozine.com. To help make this program possible, please visit our website and look for The Oncozine Brief. Here you can find out more information about the way you can help and support our program. And your support for this program is important. It allows us to bring you interviews with experts involved in the development of novel diagnostics and new treatment options. If you are living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866 and we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. Thank you all, and thank you for listening. And join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brief. The Oncozine Brief is produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hoffman, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by InPress Media Group. Support for the Oncozine Brief comes from listeners of this station and our commercial underwriters and advertisers. For more information about underwriting and sponsoring options, contact Sean Mayer in California at 949 923 1660 or visit our website at oncozine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncozine Brief contains health and medicine related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.